Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Markets with Sean Hackett. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. More information, go to axontire.com. Axon has a couple great offers they're throwing around out there. One is uh, if you need a new pair of gloves, send an email to marketing at axontire.com and they will get you a free pair. Sean, not you have to pay for these free pair of deerskin work gloves. And if you get those coming to you, you can keep your hands buttery soft all winter long, especially down in Florida when you guys are chopping wood for the winter. So it'll be, it'll be definitely keep you, uh, keep you in the right the right i'm frame. sure i'm sure operators are standing on by they are they are they are it's like a time life thing for all the people out there that remember that right and then and then if you want to go to the moving iron summit coming up here in nashville tennessee that would be september of 23 11 through the 13th axon is giving away 50 dollars worth of uh, registration money to uh, the first 150 people that signed up for that so take advantage of that if you want to do that send an email to moving iron podcast moving iron podcast.com and i'll make sure to take care of that when uh when it comes through uh valley transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years call parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs at valley transportation our goal is to help you reach yours and no matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment data, sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comp is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This, pro- this podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. Their Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create your connected customer experience and transform how you work today. Sean is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida. He's nice enough to come on and talk about what's happening in the marketplace. Sean, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing very, very good. Never, never better. So It's, uh, you know, we got a few things. Got some weather coming through. It looks like we have a... Uh, We've had some pretty historically cold weather to the to the west of the United States, up into you know 
Canada and, and Alaska and up in that area. And we've had some very um, warmer than normal temperatures in the uh, east. And those uh, those two forces are going to collide here over the uh, high plains, which I don't know why we get picked on so much, Sean, but we sure do. And there's a blizzard coming this way. Um, and so it looks like the back side of it's going to be a blizzard and the front side of it's going to be some pretty severe weather. So I guess looking at your model, Sean, what do you, what are you seeing happen with that? Well, you know, we've been saying all along that we felt that this winter would be cold, you know, not Arctic frigid cold, you know, more like polar cold. Um, uh, because we're anticipating the La Nina to start to weaken, that means um, more moisture in the atmosphere, which tends to increase the potential for snowfall, even though you're not going to get necessarily the same bitter cold that, you know, like a polar vortex or sudden stratospheric warming event kind of thing. But we think it's going to be a short winter. So um, kind of a little, quite a bit different than last year, which last year was more of a long ongoing thing. This is going to be short and sweet to the point going to be over in late February and then springtime, springtime weather in March. So um, that's what we see. Um, and, and, and the worst part of the winter would, is going to be that front half you know, that we're sort of entering in now in terms of uh, the cold snaps and the um, blizzard-like conditions and that sort of thing. It's going to, and so that, that's what we're seeing for this year. Um, when we, so when we think of that, uh, it means energy demand is going to be down. When, if you look at the whole winter as a whole, meaning we're going to lose a lot of those heating degree days from not having uh, the winter, uh, from having the winter in early, which is actually kind of a good thing. You know, considering some of the shortages we have here, um, some of the shortages they're having in Europe right now, Europe's had some very warm weather. Um, and, and so, you know, when we put it all together, um, that's kind of what we're, we're seeing for this winter. And I do think it's going to allow the energy crisis to take a back seat um, and wait for another winter to, uh, to reemerge. That's the way we're seeing it right now. All right. And you're seeing a lot of talk right now about the La Nina um and that it's maintaining its strength and all that stuff. But at the very end of every one of those things they talk about is for the for you know, for the, the short-term view of this, we think it's gonna stay the same. So it's really no one's really coming out and saying, hey, you know what, La Nina's gonna end, we're gonna switch to El Nino, but they're uh they're saying if you read between the lines, it's what they're telling you. Well, you have to look at what we call leading indicators that help forecast when La Nina is going to weaken. One of the things we look at is the Southern Oscillation Index. It's a measure of the pressure differential between Australia and the Central Pacific. When you have a La Nina, they tend to be the readings tend to be positive, um, meaning you have high pressure in Central Pacific that causes easterly winds and allows for upwelling, which brings that cold air up to the surface. We've seen the Southern Oscillation Index plunge. It actually got down to, to minus 31 here um, yesterday, which is an extremely negative reading. It's the first time we've seen a reading that negative since the El Nino of 2019. Now, now just because that's happened doesn't mean La Nina goes away, but what I'm saying is you need a more persistent negative Southern Oscillation Index to start shifting those winds westerly and bringing downwelling forces and bringing the warm water. So the fact that we're seeing this big shift in the Southern Oscillation Index for the first time is one of the things that's telling us that we would expect this La Nina to start weakening. And all the models have been suggesting that peak La Nina would be, you know, 
late October, early November, and we would start to see a weakening. Um, another thing is the Indian Ocean dipole has been strongly negative here the last three months, meaning that the temperatures in west uh, in the West Indian Ocean have been cold, and the temperatures on the East Indian Ocean have been warm, and that's why you've been getting all this excessive flooding in Southeast Asia, Indonesia, Australia, India, because that that tends to push moisture over towards those regions. We're seeing a distinct weakening of the Indian of the negative Indian Ocean dipole. It's still negative. I think we were at one negative one point six in mid October, which is a very strong reading. You know, now we're at minus 0.85. So still negative, you know, still, you know, in motion, but we're starting to see the trend get far less negative. And, and, and the, the Indian Ocean Dipole tends to weaken, a negative Indian Ocean Dipole tends to weaken before the La Nina does. I mean, it's a leading indicator that when that starts to weaken, it's forewarning that La Nina is going to follow behind it. There's, there's actually quite a few other variables. You don't need to overdo it. But um, but those are a couple of the key variables we're seeing that is telling us that this shift from peak La Nina is actually starting to take place. We're seeing the indicators that we're looking for and that we would expect to see those sea surface temperatures in the Central Pacific start to warm. And in fact, we've seen warming in the last six days straight in that region. So, you know, it's it, as we've said before, you don't just turn the switch on and there's El Nino. It's a transition. Mm -hmm. It does look like to us that transition is about to begin. Right. So. Okay. A lot of talk about China and their gradual um, easing away from the zero COVID policies that they have. Um, Sean, did you take a look at that? What are your thoughts there? And how do you think that's going to overwhelmingly, um, you know, have? A, I think it's going to have a, a really big positive impact. I mean, obviously, you're going to get a lot of more manufacturing out of China. You're going to get a lot more feed and and proteins and those kind of things back into China. Um do you think that could be one of those deals that kind of breaks this uh, inflationary move that we see around the world? Well, first of all, is it true? Right. Um, That's always a good question to ask. You know, first of all, is it true? If it is true, when? Right. How quick? Um, you know, I mean, those are important factors. You know, if they're going to reopen in next summer, then it's probably we're probably jumping the gun here a little bit. Right. Um, if they're going to start now and gradually work to a, a, a major reopening by March, then this would be the right time to start getting things going. Um, it's interesting that within the last two weeks, we've had two stories independently come out saying they're going to reopen and two and twice they denied that they're doing anything. <clears throat> Usually when governments deny stories, it's true. Um, you know, we can't say for a fact that that's the case this day, but, but generally speaking, the more a government denies a particular news story, the more likely it is that it's true. So the only thing I know to do, Casey, is somebody knows exactly what the truth is. I don't, but somebody knows what it is. The big money knows what it is. And if it's really true, we should see capital flowing back into China in a major, major way, because there's going to be, you know, capital likes to flow into places that are that are going to be on the men that are doing better. I'd be looking at the Chinese currency to give me the signal that this story is actually for real. Um, and, 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 and what I want to see is if you looked at the Chinese renminbi chart, there's big resistance at 14. If we can break through 14 on a weekly closing basis on the Chinese renminbi, that would say to me that we have a major 
reversal back up, meaning the Chinese renminbi is strengthening because of capital flows going in. If we were to see that, then it would give me confidence that some of these knee-jerk rea- reactions to the upside um, are now true and that we are going to get a tailwind of significant uh, demand coming from China for the first time in a long time. And, and so that's really, to me, is how I'm trying to discern whether this is true or not. Right now, that has not happened. We're near 14. We have not gone through it. So the jury's still out. But if we get that signal, Casey, then I think that one would be thinking about how do you, how does one participate in a ascending demand picture and a reopening of China? Because we know, and we did it here, we know, and the EU did it, you know, the boomerang, at least for a little while, and demand is pretty, pretty powerful. Right. Yeah. And that, that's one of those things, especially when you're looking at like China and what they're, what they have going on and, and this, the, impact they have on the overall world economy just because the sheer number of people that, that live in the, you know, one seventh of the world's population lives in, in China. So it's, it's a, a fair amount, fair amount of uh, activity that can definitely be added. And, and remember that they've been locking down some of the most productive parts of China. You know, the, 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 the big metropolitan areas, the people that are making the money, the people that have the resources for the, for, to buy things. So, so, you know, even though when you look at, okay, they have a billion three and maybe they've been locking down anywhere from a hundred to 300 million people, depending on what week you're talking about. And it doesn't seem like it's that large as a percentage of the whole country. When you look at who's being locked down, they're high, high earners. Right. And so you put those people back in, you know, and, and it's, it would have a, a pretty meaningful impact if it's true. So we're going to monitor this closely, you know, day to day, week to week to see if the capital is signaling that it is true so far, you know, inconclusive, but, um, but if it does turn out to be true, Casey, this would be the first real positive bullish demand side fundamental we've seen in the markets in well over a year. Yeah. So. All right. So you got news coming out of Ukraine that roughly 90% of the uh, overall winter wheat, well, sorry, uh, winter grain crop anyway has been planted. Um, and then you look at the very next question, next story right around that is Russia hasn't done little to to move forward on the um, uh, access points and stuff like that to get ships in and out of the Black Sea. I guess so. How do you think the market's going to react to that? Um, and that that seems to be probably a little, it's got to be a higher number than what they were anticipating to see planted uh, coming out of Ukraine. Ukraine has continued to surprise. Uh, you would think with bombs <laughs> falling everywhere that you know farmers would be um, unable to achieve the kind of activity that they've been able to achieve. But the Ukrainian farmers have proven to be extraordinarily resilient and uh, have continued to power ahead despite it all. And they've continued to surprise. Um, yes, production is down. Yes, acres are down, but they're doing more than everyone thought. No one ever thought grain would come out of Ukraine, and it has. Mm-hmm. People, you know, so so um, I, that might be just a testament to the heart of a farmer. You know that he's just going to farm. You know, come come high water or anything, and but um, but you know the, the the wheat market's been acting bearishly here lately. Casey, it's been we're down over a dollar from where we were a few weeks ago. I know that this uh, crane corridor, corridor deal. Uh, expiration is coming up. Wild speculation. Um, I don't know how it's going to turn out, but it, the market's trading like they think it's going to be extended right now. Right. That's the way they're trading the market. And maybe somebody knows something I don't know. Maybe they know for sure it's going to. Somebody knows exactly what's going to happen. I don't know. 
But right now, if you're just looking at how wheat the mar- the wheat market is trading, it's it's just not acting as excited or as bullish as it as you would think it might reaching this important expiration date. So you know maybe the market will also wake up and they get surprised and it takes off, but they're acting like somebody knows this deal is going to be extended. Um, charts don't tell you everything, but they do tell you something, and maybe the charts telling us to expect. Um, more bearer surprises out of Ukraine than bullish. That's that's the speculation I would come from looking at how the wheat market is trading right now. Mm-hmm. All right, so you take a look at what's going on right now in uh, cattle market as you as we head into this big winter storm that's coming. Um, we've been seeing some premium kind of get built into that to some extent since the first part of the week, and, and you've seen some movement there. Talk about what you see happening in the cattle market, Sean, and how do you think the storm's going to impact that? You know, you always get a bump up on these kind of things, uh, short term at least. Obviously, the devil's in what's the long term implications versus just the short term implications. I mean, if it, the short term implications, you know, you some cattle, you know, don't come to the market or you lose some weights for a while. I mean, that can be remedied very quickly once a storm passes by. You know, if it's something more severe, like we have in past years, we've had a, a such severe cold, you know, that you've actually killed off, you know, a number of animals that won't ever come to the market, you know, right. um, uh, that's different. It, it, I think this is a garden variety blizzard. I don't think this is going to be anything other than a short-term bump up in the price, a, a typical knee-jerk reaction that will fade once the storm comes and goes. I don't see this being, you know, we, you know, they do get blizzards in North Dakota in the right. wintertime. I mean, it's kind of like it happens every year. <laughs> yeah, that is a uh, they tend to they tend to seem to get at least one or one or twelve of those a year. So it seems yeah, yeah, one, one to twelve. I mean, yeah. you know, definitely, definitely in that range for sure. So. Speaking of commonalities, looks like there's another um, another storm coming towards Florida. Uh, how do you think that's going to impact that? What's that look like for the eastern seaboard? You know, when it's in the November storm, it's really hard to to, to get a big one. Uh, it, the conditions are just not right for you know the storm to be you know. Uh, I don't think we've ever had a storm in November that's been more than a category one. They're saying it might be a category one, maybe mm. when it hits, um, you know, Florida category one, is just not a big deal. You know I mean? It, it might be a big deal for New Jersey, mm-hmm. but for Florida, I mean, gosh, you know, category one, I mean, it's, it's kind of like it's, yeah, there'll be some flooding and could be some, some a little damage here and there, but but as an overall impact, I, I don't see this being, um, you know, it's a great media story and they'll play it up and they'll show the same picture 25 times of how bad it was in this one particular area that is 10 feet below, below sea level. But right. um, for the most part, we're not, into, I'm not anticipating this to be a major um, issue like Ian was for Florida, you know, right on. Right on. Um, hogs continue to get beat up here, it looks like. So I guess as you're looking at the hog market right now, Sean, heading into this holiday season of sorts, I guess, what what do you see happening there? And and do you anticipate any kind of a big rally there? We had a big rally yesterday. I think we we're up four on the on the nearby and up two or three on the on the on the uh, uh, on the uh, extended contracts. Um, been a very much a rope adult market all year, Casey. You know, up, 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 down, 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 up, down, down, up. You know, it's just it it hasn't been able to make up its mind what it really wants to do. Um, on the one hand, it worries that demand's gonna suffer, especially as these rate increases continue to impose greater economic stress. 
At the same time, we have a major pork shortage in China, and China is starting to show their interest in buying U.S. pork. Last couple of weeks, we've seen exports up substantially from China. I think right now, China demand is going to win out. I think we're going to have a, a, a kind of a strong finish to the hog price as we go into the end of the year. You know, they have to get those pork supplies sufficient so that they have enough pork to go around when they go to their New Year's holidays in January and February. And they take, you know, a month to two months off. So if I'm a hog producer, you know, you need to be looking for opportunities to cash sell uh, on rallies as we go into December. Because once they stop buying and they say we've got enough for now and, we, and they go into hibernation, you know, then we're going to lose that demand and prices are likely to give back some. So you know, definitely need to be um, paying very close attention uh, for opportunities to make cash sales um, before that happens for U.S. producers. Yeah, right on. All right, big uh, big report coming out tomorrow. Uh, typically, the November report's not that big of a deal, but it seems like all these reports here of late have been have been a big deal, Sean. I guess as you take a look at what's happening, uh, what do you think the market is looking for in this report, and how do you think it's going to come out? Remember, when you're as tight as we are, we've talked about this concept before, small little changes mean a lot. You know, when you're dealing with, you know, corn ending stocks, you know, around a billion bushels, billion two, or and you're dealing with um, soybean ending stocks between two and 300 million, small little changes can make a big difference in the price, especially when prices are this high. So even though this report isn't normally a market mover, if, if we were to get a little change, either a little extra on or a little extra off, it would have probably more pronounced impact than it would have in most years because of the highly, more highly charged nature of where we're at. I don't think the USDA is going to make much of a change. Um, I am hearing some people talking about that maybe they may increase the corn yield here a little bit. Um, and if they did, you know, even though I don't think it would move the dial that much, we do know that exports have been weak. We do know feed demand has been weak. They might lower demand a little bit. Um, so, so you know, I, I'm, I might be thinking that this could be construed as a bearish report, at least for the corn market. And um, and unless the wheat market has Ukraine going for it, you know, wheat will probably just follow corn down if, in fact, the market views this report tomorrow as bearish for the corn market. But overall, you know, I, I'd be I'd be looking for some some modest upside surprises to ending stocks that may surprise the market and bring some sellers in, um, you know, sellers into the, to the, to the futures market. So. Right on Sean. Well, good stuff as usual. Folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what's happening at, at well, if you want to know what's happening at moving iron, you can do that too. Just send me an email, but if you want to get a hold of Sean, what's the best way to do that, Sean? It's at uh, Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T advisors.com. Uh, plenty of information on there to get everyone, to let everyone know how we make our forecast and the tools that we use to see if those tools may be of some value to your listeners in agriculture. So always trying to steal the spotlight, Sean. Sorry about that. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> Appreciate you being on the podcast, man. Thanks, Casey. Have a great day. All right, buddy. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC, LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast, and the ever so cleverly named Moving Iron podcast youtube channel and that's on youtube in case you're wondering so check that out there if you want to go to uh see everything moving iron related go to moving iron llc.com see blog posts everything that's out there uh for uh for any information you're looking for is there about moving iron llc so with that i'm casey seymour with sean hackett
We smart folks out. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving higher in the 21st century.